Good morning. It's, uh, it's ironic that we're talking about peace today, uh, because uh, as the Lotz House has been going through continued disease, uh, still not still not at 100 percent. So this this week's special is the antibiotic medical reaction that has just taken me out in a whole bunch of different ways. So if I pass out, um, I don't know, somebody from the booth, just look look at one of them angry, and they'll come up and they'll just make something up as we go, and we'll be we'll be okay. Uh, and I will be sleeping from the moment I walk out of here until 5, 5 p.m. When, we get, when I get back to the church today uh, in hopes that we'll be back and recovered for, for Christmas Eve. So it's a beautiful thing that we're preaching on peace this morning and a great feat of irony because uh, we don't have a whole lot of it. In, in many ways, 2023 has been kind of a rough year, not just be for, for us in a sickness sense, but for the whole world, right? It feels like the last three to four years really it's almost like there's so much awful that happens that we have become desensitized to just how much awful has happened, right? How many of you have, like, thought back to, so, you know, you, you remember a, a big event that happened in February, but it feels like it was 10 years ago, right? You're like, oh, yeah, there were those violent riots, and, you know, there was that impeachment thing a couple of year, you know, a couple of years ago. And, and like, it, it just seems like it was so long ago because so much tragic and crazy has happened in such a short time span. I swear, the beginning of 2020 feels like it was about a year ago in, in my mind. It just seems like it's just such a crazy time that we live in where so much happens that we're actually becoming desensitized to some of the things that happen, right? There are certain tragedies that strike the world that we're like, well, another one of those, right? So, so to, for instance, here, here's kind of a, a, an impact of what 2023 has looked like, and, and you'll, you'll kind of be shocked to think about the fact that you don't, probably don't even realize some of this stuff is happening because of the sheer amount of chaos. There's been massive amounts of global conflict in the year 2023. The most obvious that we all know about is the conflict that we see on the news every day right now between Israel and Gaza, right? You, you, the, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict that has been going on for a few months now. Uh, even that is starting to leave the news cycle for, in favor of some other things, uh, even though that conflict is very much still alive and well. Uh, many of you are, are probably haven't given much thought to the Ukrainian conflict that is happening. That's been going on for quite a while now, but we don't have the ability and the bandwidth to think through that because of all the other things that are going on. But you know there's a whole bunch of other conflict that doesn't even make the list. Here's a list of all the what would be considered by, by, by politicians to be major global conflicts. And major conflicts are conflicts in which 10,000 or more people have died in just the, the past year alone. We have a, a war that broke out in Sudan this year. Does anybody even know that happened? There's, a, there's an Ethiopian civil war happening. There's a, a civil war in Myanmar happening. All of these conflicts have killed more than 10,000 people just this year alone. There's jihadist conflict in all kinds of countries, each of which have killed more than 10,000, including Burkina Faso, Nigeria, Cameroon, Morocco, Libya, Ivory Coast. There's civil war in all these places of some kind, or there's jihadist conflicts that are going on in all of these. And those are only the global ones that are certified as major wars. There's about 100 more when you start to look at places where less than 10,000 have died. They, they don't even count those as worth mentioning because of just how crazy of a world we've been in. Right? That's just man-made conflict. 
This year we've, we've had experiences of death and tragedy all throughout the world that have nothing to do with man-made conflict, or at least loosely we can talk about global you know, impact and climate and all those things. But on top of that, we've had a whole bunch of stuff. Anybody remember Hurricane Otis? It was the worst hurricane to hit the Mexican coast on record ever. That happened this year. Anybody remember that? China had major floods this summer. In about a, a four-day span, they had 60% of the rain they normally get in an entire year in parts of northern China that wiped out entire, entire areas, villages, cities. 23 total hurricanes hit the Atlantic alone this year, most of those striking the East Coast. I couldn't name a single one of them for you. I don't know. There's 1,450 tornadoes in the U.S. alone this year. There was a major earthquake in Turkey, in Syria, in February. Anybody remember that? Right. On top of that, we have the things that are beyond just a global scale. We, we have personal loss that we've experienced, right? How many of us have lost someone to cancer? Do you know that 600,000 people died of cancer in the U.S. this year? 600,000. Over 928,000 people died of heart disease this year in the U.S. alone. That's just, just two Two diseases that have taken out over a million and a half people just in our country, just this year. We had 40,000 people done, die of some kind of gun-related violence, whether it's gang or mass shootings or suicide or whatnot. 40,000 people. About 689,000 people divorced in the United States this year. 689,000. And that's only from 45 states that actually work those stats. The others don't even let us know what happened in their state, so it's likely to be more. And now, all that to say, Merry Christmas <laughs> and Happy New Year, right? And so we, we gather tonight and we sing songs of joy and of peace, and, and there's an issue with that. And, and, and the reason I bring these, these things up, these tragic things, isn't because I want to ruin your Christmas, but because this, this morning we're, we're looking at our last name of, of the child to be born, the last name of Jesus in Isaiah 9-6, and that name is Prince of Peace. Let's, let's stand this morning and read our, our passage in Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's the word of the Lord. Have a seat. Anybody feel peaceful this morning? Or maybe you did and I ruined it for, for you. But it's when you came in, you were feeling pretty good. You're like, this is, I've had a great week. There's peace in our house, at least this time. Uh, there's no crazy feuds with relative, perhaps. And then this Vince guy has to come in and ruin it all for us by citing all these murderous death statistics to us to show us how bad the world actually is. But I bring it up because it, it, the state of our world is, is such that there, there seems to be a disconnect with verses like Isaiah 9, 6. Because what we know is that the, the, the prophecy that Isaiah gives us in chapter 9 here is foretelling the birth of Christ. And we live about 2,000 plus years on the other side of that birth. So the question begs, well, it's, it's been two millennia. Where the heck is that peace? Right? 
Isaiah said it, a child will be born and, and his name will be called. These things, he'll be wonderful, he'll be mighty, he'll be this everlasting father that, that cares deeply for his children and he will be the prince of all peace. And I don't know about you, if the prince of peace has been reigning for 2,000 years, things don't feel very peaceful to me. I'm not experiencing that peace. Right? I'm not experiencing it on a global scale pretty hard to see sometimes. I'm not experiencing it on a personal scale when I look at the people that I actually know, many of which in this church are really struggling with, with deep issues, with loss, with grief, with pain, with illness, disease. Sometimes it's hard to see the peace in my own house. Certainly, I can tell you the month of December has been very unpeaceful in the Lats house. We, we joked somehow, not because we tried through, through circumstances of when we're getting together with families, tomorrow the Lot's house for Christmas Day actually isn't seeing anybody but the four of us. And we're so excited for that, <laughs> to just exist. My, my plan is to watch my children unwrap as many presents as they can, and then while they play with them, to sleep on the couch as much as humanly possible. That's my life goal. Merry Christmas to me. Right? I just want some peace. We went from stomach bug to COVID to more stomach bug stuff when it, you know, based on medicine. It's not a bug, but it's, it's a reaction against medicine that's got me barely upright. I might grab a stool in the next 10 minutes here if, we, if i got to keep standing up. There, there's not really peace. I'm not feeling it. Right? And so if Jesus really is the Prince of Peace, well, well where is the peace? And so this morning, I want to examine this, this name of Jesus and this peace that he supposedly brings and ask some of those hard questions. Where is it? And the first thing we do when we look at what does this peace look like or mean for us? Is it already here or is it something that's still to come or is it a, a mixture of both? The first question that we have to ask ourselves is how do we define peace? When it says that Jesus, the, the coming Messiah, the, the child to be born, is the Prince of Peace, what, what do we mean by peace? Because I think our, our definitions of peace might be radically different, even if I asked everybody in this room to stand up and just define the word. Right? Peace means different things to different people. Right? For many of us, peace just means the absence of war. Right? If we could have a world where war and, and human conflict and tragic death that results of it and the violence that comes, if that was eliminated, that's peace. That certainly would be what the, what the beauty pageant contestants mean when, they, when their answer is that they would seek world peace. Right? Could, could that be our peace if all wars end? Is that what the Prince of Peace is talking about when he says that he will be the Prince of Peace? Or is there something else to it? Right? And I will argue you that the Prince of Peace means three things. One or two of them might be more obvious to us. However, the, the third, at the very least, is probably far less obvious to us. And so we'll look at them. The first thing, the first thing in a promised peace, when we want to define what that word means, is in fact the absence of war and conflict. Right? That is what we mean when we say peace. Right? That's why they're juxtaposed terms. Peace is the opposite of war. 
Those two terms are what we've put against one another in pretty much all of human civilization. If we're not in peacetime, then we are in wartime. We are in a time of peace, and then we declare war, and then we fight until there's a victory, after which point we have again achieved peace, at least for some temporary means. But for us to say that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, what that means is the absence of all things related to war and conflict between men. One of the neatest things to observe in Jesus' earthly ministry is the fact that he operates with all people in a peaceful disposition. There's a very small handful amount of times where Jesus gets righteously angry, such as when he overturns the tables. But when he's dealing with an individual, there's always peace. The Lord has a way in his earthly ministry of engaging others who are opposite of him, who are the enemies of all things godly in a way that is immensely peaceful. As a matter of fact, we try to emulate the way that Jesus works with the people that he encounters. One of my favorite passages on earth is the, the context where Jesus finds himself with the adulterous woman who is about to be stoned to death. Right? And he doesn't throw down, he doesn't create a, a divine shield around her, he doesn't chew out the people for their misunderstanding of the nature or the application of the law. He doesn't get angry, but he peacefully convicts to the point where they all walk away. Right? When he encounters a deeply sinful woman at the well who's effectively a, a prostitute in her town, he doesn't ream her out or judge her or make her feel like less than or, or belittled. But he, he, he simply loves her with the truth. He shocks her by knowing exactly who and what she is and demonstrating a loving, peaceful disposition towards her, which causes her to go and evangelize her entire village. We have a God, a Christ child, who is the beacon of peace. And one of the marks of his peace is the absence of war and conflict. Right? Check out Isaiah 2.4. Here's what it says about the one who will come and the kind of peace he will bring. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. The promise of the coming Messiah is that he will bring actual end to war and human conflict. Man will no longer be pitted against man. And oftentimes, that's what we think about when we look at peace, the absence of war and conflict. We look at these promises such as the lion will lay down with the lamb, and we, we describe or aspire to this peace on earthly terms, and that's what we mean. And when, when, when like I said, the, the beauty contestants throw that out, this is what we're talking about. If men could just stop fighting each other, we would have peace. But this is far from the only way that we understand peace, at least the kind that the Prince of Peace promises, right? Jesus doesn't just promise that he is the, priest, the, 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 the prince of ending human conflict. The peace also extends to other places. And one of those, our number two for this morning, is the creation itself. See, when sin entered the world, it didn't just mess up our processes. It didn't just pit man against man. It pitted the entire creation against itself. 
That's why things are promised to Adam like with toil you will work the ground. You see how the sin that enters doesn't just stay in the relationships and the way our minds work and the poor choices that we make, but the whole of creation itself is affected and stained by sin. And that is why we experience things like natural disasters. That's why hurricanes and tornadoes and tsunamis and floods took millions of people out across the globe this year. Because the creation itself is sinful. And when Isaiah says that Jesus will be the Prince of Peace, he also means this. He promises that that peace that he brings isn't just from man to man, but also extends to the creation itself. Look at Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. There is no mourning, there is no crying, there is no pain, there is no death. Not just death caused by the murder of violence of people, but death and mourning and pain caused by the creation itself. The coming Prince of Peace means the eradication of natural disasters, of illness, of disease. We will never again lose someone to any medical condition when the Prince of Peace has come. Ever again. That's the promise. We can't even imagine a world like that. Some of you have been in pain for so many years, you don't even know what it would be like not to be in pain anymore. But that's the promise of peace. It's not just peace from violence that is man-made. It's peace from all harm that befalls mankind. The kind that we do to ourselves, the kind that is done to us by others, and the kind that is done to us by the creation itself and all that comes with it. Jesus' role as the Prince of Peace includes restoration from all of the pains of the created order. There's a third kind, an even greater peace that is at the heart of what is promised when Jesus says he is the prince of peace. And and here's what it is. Even if all human conflict were to cease tomorrow, even if all disease and all natural disasters and all the ways in which creation harms us were eradicated tomorrow. Even if illness and death were no more and strife were no more, even if you would find all of your relationships with other people around you to be peaceful, even if the news had nothing negative to report because nothing bad in the world was happening, I would argue that you still would not feel peace. And the reason you would not feel peace is because of your mind right here and your heart right here. Because if you're honest with yourself, a lot of the times that you walk through this life and experience a lack of peace, it's not actually because of any of the things that are going on around you, even though those are a part of it. A lot of the lack of peace is in our own minds. The anxieties that we create, the fears that drive us. I don't know about you, but for me, most of my lack of peace is not in the things that are happening to me or my family. It's in the could-haves or could-been or would-have or should-have or what-ifs of my life that rob me of my peace. It's the stuff I worry about happening to my family that hasn't happened. Right? It's the, the worries that, that I have personally and professionally of 
Right? Am I good enough of a, as a father? Am I good enough as a, as a pastor? Am I good enough in life? Am I doing things that I'm supposed to be doing? If I don't worry, these things could happen that probably will never happen. And some of you struggle with anxieties and fears more than others. But for those of you that do struggle with anxiety, one of the things you know intrinsically is that most of the stuff that keeps you up at night is stuff that's not grounded in reality. Your heart and your mind do not have peace And even if your actual physical circumstances were peaceful, you still wouldn't have that peace. You wouldn't. You'd be in constant wonder and worry and fear about what could or would or might come next. Peace goes so far beyond just the circumstances that we are in. It is those things. But it's also the imaginative stuff that we concoct in our own heads to keep us up at night. And if that's you, trust me, you are not alone. Whether you actually have significant struggles with anxieties or fears or not, every one of us, everybody has this human condition that causes us to worry about things that aren't really there. And so even if the world had peace, you wouldn't. And so Jesus provides as the Prince of Peace a third kind of peace. We can read about it in Philippians 4 in the words of Paul. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's the key. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's the the promise there? It's a massive and a beautiful and a life-altering promise that Paul gives us in Philippians 4. When I think about the dream and and the longing of peace, this is what I have in mind. Because Paul tells us here that peace will mean, one, our anxieties can cease. They actually can, right? And he says that Christ's peace will be the thing that guards our hearts and our minds. And finally, this is the key. This peace that will guard our hearts and minds is a peace that will surpass all of our understanding. And so it's a, it's a peace that is deeper than our ability to think and function. Right? When we think of stuff that disrupts our peace, the peace of Christ is what comes in and surpasses all of that understanding. It's a peace that goes beyond your ability to even imagine or think. Right? You can have an objective peace around you and still be troubled, and that's what anxiety is. It's an immensely hard thing because you don't understand it. It's not grounded in reality. It's grounded in the mind that is stained by sin. But Christ promises a peace within us that surpasses our understanding. There's a lack of peace within you, if you're honest, that you just don't even really understand. You just know it's there. You have this conflict, this turmoil, this wrestling, this unease that you wake up with and go to sleep with that keeps you up at night sometimes that you don't even really know why it is. And Jesus promises to bring a lasting peace to the very depths of not just this world, but your soul and your hearts and your minds. And the peace Jesus brings isn't just the end of conflict, but also within us. A true shalom that we can't even begin to comprehend. The most relaxed you have ever been 
on the most relaxed day that you have ever had in your entire life is a riddled, anxiety-filled mess compared to the kind of peace that Jesus offers. And he says that I am the Prince of Peace. And so that's the definition we're working with. The end of all wars and conflict, the ends of all conflicts with creation and the created order and the disease and illness and natural disasters and lack of, of, of disturbing peace that it brings to us, and the, the restoration of peace to our own hearts and minds and the things that we make up that go far beyond the actual circumstances that we face. That's what is meant by peace. When we say that the Prince of Peace will come and, and peace will rule in our hearts, that is the threefold definition that we're working with. And, and so we're back to our original question of where is this peace now? I'm not experiencing it. I see pockets of peace. Right? I, I have a peace when I trust the Lord, but that experience of peace is, is not always there. It's kind of elusive. And the answer to where it is is, is twofold. The first is, yes, there is a degree to which this kind of peace is unfulfilled and cannot be realized fully in this life. If you want to have that kind of a deep-seated peace and rest, there is a, an extent to which you are not going to find it fully in this life. If that's not the news you wanted, I'm really sorry, but we live in a world of already but not yet. So there's some of that peace that we just won't get to experience until we breathe our last and we join Jesus in the heavenly realm and in the new kingdom. However, the, the more we drill down, drill down to the roots of, of peace, the more we begin to see what Jesus has done and is doing and how peace is going to come. And one of the most helpful passages that, that I have found with this is actually in John 15. Here's what it says. This is verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is the one that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't abide in me and he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." Jesus here is talking about the connectedness to the vine, to himself. And as we read this, we discover what our problem really is when it comes to lack of peace. We start to see that a central aspect of our lack of peace is that we are disconnected from the vine. When sin entered in Genesis 3, it was a rebellion against God. And we forget that this is what sin is. It's actively professing that we want our way rather than his way. And so when sin entered, we disconnected ourselves from the vine as the branches and went off on our own. And when we went off on our own, we withered into a lack of peace because we were no longer connected to the source of all peace. And this disconnect happens at two levels. The first is that we rebel against God daily. We prefer our own ways to his ways. 
but it also happens on a godly level. Sin separates God from us. He cannot bear to be in the vicinity of our sin. And so not only do we separate ourselves from God, God is also separated from us on his ends because of the sin that stains our human souls. He cannot be around it, for he is perfect. And so we live apart from the vine as a branch that isn't connected and therefore experiences all of the lack of peace that comes with it. And here is the key to how Jesus actually serves as our Prince of Peace. Look at Romans 1, 5 through 6. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access, back to the vine, by faith into his into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that it produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope produces, or doesn't put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Many of us are so focused on looking at peace within our world and in our life that we don't really worry about the fact that we don't have peace with God. And that's the reason we don't have peace in any other area of our life. How many of you on a daily basis concern yourselves with the fact that you have a lack of peace with God? You have a life that is not in harmony, in a peaceful harmony with the design of the God of the universe who made you and who loves you. And the message of the gospel is that you don't have peace with God because of sin, yet Christ took that sin upon himself so that you might have peace with God again because you can be reconciled to him. He is the one who, through his death on the cross, takes the dead branch and reattaches it to the vine where it belongs so that the life can flow back through and into it and revive it and bring it back and that the peace again can reign. And so the child who is the Prince of Peace has reconnected you to the vine. And the vine is the source of all the other peace that we just talked about. Our rest in God's arms is what brings us peace. Oh, well, how? I don't feel peace. Everything is still awful. I had, uh, I had a wise pr- professor in, in college who, who gave me this, and it was, it was life-altering. He said, Vince, one of the things you have to understand is that God never promises us circumstantial peace. He never promises us that, that, that we will have peaceful circumstances. His promise to us is that through the work that he has done, is that we will have peace in whatever our circumstances are. Not that our circumstances will be peaceful, but we can find an everlasting peace within our circumstance, right? And he does offer that promise. And so the key to understanding peace is to understand what your ultimate circumstance is. Here's how this plays out. It's not that there is never conflict in your life, but it's that Whatever conflict arises, you can know that God ultimately will triumph over all of that conflict. And so whatever you're facing is never everlasting. 
I had a phrase that got me through seminary while I was working, you know, full 40-hour weeks and doing 40-hour week seminary. At some point, I had 90-hour work weeks because of it. But I had a phrase that I can do anything for a short period of time if I know there's an end in sight. So most semesters were about four and a half months. So about two months in when I was ready to throw in the towel. Okay, it, it is nine weeks until this is over. I can, I can suffer anything for nine weeks knowing that it'll end. Now, that's a small sliver example, but we can have a peace in our circumstance because we know that if we suffer pain, God will triumph. If we endure conflict, God ultimately will triumph over conflict, right? And you are in him. Your triumph, his triumph, is your triumph, right? It's not that the Christian can't acquire and suffer or even die of disease and illness, it's that no matter what disease or illness hits us, death can't ruin it because on the other side of death, there is life. And so whatever you face, it's not that that situation is promised to be peaceful, but the promise is that if you are in him, he has achieved a victory over death and the grave and the sin in your life, and he has reconciled you to God so that you can bask in the peace of knowing that whatever this is, is a temporary thing. And whatever is coming is ultimately more glorious and wonderful and peaceful than you could ever imagine. Every time you suffer, you can know this is not my home. This isn't where I live forever. This is a temporary thing. No matter how much pain and suffering the world endures, there is a promise that that pain and suffering will one day come to an end. And so we can endure because we know that there is peace coming down the pike. Maybe tomorrow, maybe in 10 years, maybe in 1,000, but it's coming. No matter how much you lack peace in your life, the promise of Christ is it isn't going to go on forever, even if it feels like it is. And trust me, there are things in life that can make us feel like it's never going to end. Scripture promises us, yes, it will. Death can't even ruin the peace that we get to enjoy because we know that we serve a God who is good. Jesus' most peaceful, princely, peaceful act is the death on the cross, which secured for us an ultimate peace. When it says that he will come and be our Prince of Peace, what it means is he will come and he will die for our sins. And because of that, you don't have to wonder if you are in him what happens after this life. You don't have to wonder what the final outcome of any suffering you might be enduring is. You don't have to wonder what the outcome of the conflict is. I'm a firm believer that we will not have peace in the Middle East in this, in this world, in this life. I pray I'm wrong, but I don't believe it. It is so, so convoluted and conflicted and, and there, are, there is insanity on, on all sides of the aisle when we look at a conflict like that. But I can tell you one thing. I know there will be a time that comes that there will be peace in the Middle East when Christ comes again and rules and reigns and the lion and the lamb will lay down together, actually lay down together. That's the promise of the gospel. That's how Jesus is our prince of peace. And that is a, a peace that you and I can't even begin to imagine. As you go into Christmas, I know there are many of you for whom Christmas is hard. A lot of you will gather with families in joy. A lot of you will gather with families or by yourselves in pain 
And regardless of what your circumstance is over the next two to three days, I want you to know that there is a lasting peace that is promised to you. That is Christ's gift to you. And that you will live and breathe and move and have your being in a kingdom that is run by the one who is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, a father to you who cares deeply about every depth of your human soul and a prince of your peace who will usher in a lack of conflict, a lack of disease, a lack of groaning of the creation, and a lack of the things that keep you awake at night and allow you to find a deep, peaceful, abiding rest in him. That promise is yours. It's under the tree with a bow on it. It's coming. My prayer is that whatever circumstance you're in, that you might find rest in that truth this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are our Prince of Peace. Lord, we know that when we look around the world or even our own dinner tables, our jobs, our families, our health, we instinctively know that there is, there is no source on earth that can bring peace to those things. There's no efforts or organizations or, or nonprofits or selflessness or money or right politicians or even churches that can bring a full and lasting peace to this world. Only you can do that. So God, we thank you that you are our promised Prince of Peace. We thank you that you, in the, in the moment of sin entering the world, in the fullness of your nature, have planned to send your Son to be born, to be our wonderful Counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace, and to go to that cross and to die, to take away the sin of this world so that we might be reconciled to you, reconnected to you, plugged back into the vine that is you that brings life and hope and peace and grace and fruit. And so we pray that as your people, we might connect ourselves, that we might abide in you and reign in your reign. We pray that in our worst circumstances that we would cling to the hope that it's temporary. That instead of shaking our fists at, at you in, in anger, we might raise our arms to you in hope and pray for you to carry us until that day when you come again and all conflict ends and all disasters end and all disease ends and all anxieties cease and we find rest for our souls. God, we long for that day. We pray, come Lord Jesus. We pray that you come now. We pray that we don't even get to have a Christmas Eve service tonight, at least, at least not one run by us, but one run by you and the heavenly hosts because you've returned before we ever come back. But Lord, until then we wait and we gather and we worship and we praise you expectantly for the day that you will come back. We love you and we praise you. And all his people said, amen.